Welcome everyone to another episode of the Arthur Com- Companies podcast. Uh, I'm your host Patrick Erickson, and I'm here today with Matt Hovness of Rightway Egg. Matt, how you doing? Doing great. Glad to be here. Glad to have you, Matt. Uh, uh, we'll start out here by just asking a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and how did you get to where you are today. Well, it's it's uh, kind of an interesting story. I grew up in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. Um, I did not grow up around agriculture, um, did not grow up around aviation. My dad was kind of an airplane junkie, but he wasn't a pilot. And uh, um, after, after high school, ended up going to college at the University of Minnesota Crookston, and, and the rest is kind of history. Here I am now uh, as an aerial applicator for the last 20 years. Wow. What did you go into at UMC? So I, got, uh, I actually have a, four, a bachelor's degree in ag aviation. Um, not many people have that. I didn't know they even actually offered that. Yeah, no, they're, they're, they don't anymore. They don't. And it's, you know, it's, it's basically an aviation degree. And then I actually did get an agronomy degree there as well. Okay. All right. So I, I warned Matt I would bring this up because over the course of about 20 years, maybe even more than that, actually, yeah, I'm afraid it's longer than that. I have, I have either met or worked with every member of the defensive line of uh, the University of Minnesota Crookston. Circa, what, 1998 to 2003, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. so I, I played football there, and that's actually what, um, what got me into ag aviation was I was being recruited to play football there. And I wasn't interested in, in going there because I wanted to go to UND to, to learn how to fly. And uh, the uh, Coach Sims was recruiting me at the time, and he said, hey, you should go talk to the guys out at the airport. We got an ag aviation program. Hmm. And that's how, that's how I decided I wanted to be an ag pilot. Okay, was through that process. Wow. So what, what, the airport in Crookston. Who, so was that, was that Mike Gasper that you learned to fly with? No. So the they actually in the college had a program, and so UND ran the aviation side of things. Okay. And then there was a, a guy by the name of Larry Leak, who's retired now, and he was an ag pilot that taught ag pilots how to how to do what we do. Really. Yeah. So where, when was your first field? You remember it? I mean, where were you? Well, the first field with him uh, in, in school was about 10 miles north of Crookston, and it was they picked this wide open 80 with no nothing near it, you know, no no obstacles, no <laughs> trees. And uh, Matt can't screw up on yeah, this one. Yeah, I think he told me that uh, there's one tree a mile and a half from here. If you hit it, you're you're not going to graduate. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that was the first one, uh, first one in training, and and they just kind of work you into things. And I don't know how he sat in the back of that airplane watching me learn how to do it, but uh, yeah. he did it. Wow. There's actually room for two passengers with, with a passenger and a spray plane. So or is we that actu- a actually, it was a Super Cub, which is a tandem. Okay. So, sure. um, and they used to spray with Super Cubs. Did they really? And um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I had about ten hours in, in a Super Cub with him in the back, yelling at me, and and okay. uh, then they had a Pawnee that you would go out and actually do some with, and that's okay. a single seat. All right. So you you obviously you're well past your pilot's license, or is this like hour one after your pilot's license when you spray your first field? So so you I was about two years in. I okay. had, I had my commercial pilot's license. I had instrument rating. Um, okay. I had I had all that at that point. Yep. So yep. Do you remember being nervous, or did you spend a fair amount of time flying that low to the ground in training? No, we didn't. I was not so much nervous about the flying. I was nervous that you know. Am I gonna? Am I gonna learn, or am I gonna make the guy mad? Is he gonna, you know, because he he would if you didn't do a good job, you weren't gonna continue. 
Yeah. And sure. I was more worried about screwing up that way. But actually, the flying, you know, never really has made me nervous. Yeah. So so that was the, the customer, the farmer who, you know, said, yeah, I'm fine with a trainee spraying my field. How, how did that get connected? Was that connected with a training program or was this just a, a aerial applicator that lets you it, train with? It was it? just a training program and we just sprayed water. A we lot sprayed of, water, okay. A lot of the stuff um, in the Super Cub was, you know, we didn't have a spray system, but that was just over bare dirt in the wintertime or yep. in the spring. And then uh, in the springtime, we just sprayed water. Yep. Yep. Does, so the, the, the Super Cubs, are they still being used anywhere? Not in the United States. Okay. Not that I know of. Yeah. They've got quite a bit of antique value now. So, Do uh, they? Yeah. There they're, they're a lot of guys that fly them, but not for work. And how big was that water tank on that spray plane? You know, I don't honestly remember. 150 gallons is my guess. No. It no. would have been a lot less than that. Would have been a lot less? Yeah. <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> they, had, they had spray tanks on the bellies uh, oh. on, underneath them. Okay. So. Yep. Yep. And the booms were... They were just attached out to the wing, just, just for, yeah. It was uh, wasn't a lot of engineering involved in in uh, those spray systems, right? Yep, yep. So compare that, and I realized the Pawnees, even at at that time, there was probably a fair amount of Pawnees being being used yep. regularly. Yep. late nineties, early two thousands. Yep. Now we're all we're all we've moved up quite substantially, have we not? Yeah. So so the. The smallest production aircraft now that's being built is 400 gallons. Yeah. Where that Pawnee, you know, is 100, 100 to 150 gallon yeah. airplane. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, they make up to 802s now, 800 gallon airplanes. Sure. Uh, yep. I've got a, uh, a, a AT400, which is a uh, 400 gallon airplane. Okay. Turbine engine. Um, air tractor. Air tractor. AT. Yep. 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 And uh, it's it's a, a lot different than than what we used to use. That's for sure. Yeah. How fast are you flying across the field? So I, I shoot for about 140. Sometimes it goes a little faster than that. Um, we found that we we start to lose control of our droplet size when we go faster. So I try to keep it to that 140. If I'm doing uh, some sensitive herbicide work, I'll try and back it down from that into 125, 130. But the airplane doesn't fly very well. Okay. Uh, it doesn't turn very well if you slow it down too much. So Makes sense. Um, 140 is kind of the sweet spot where everything seems to work out. Yeah, how do you how do you affect your droplets, and how do you know what kind of droplets you're getting, or or at least come to know what kind of droplets you're getting out of a spray plane? So that's one of the coolest thing that's that's changed um, in the last few years, probably in the last five, is uh, the USDA has done a ton of research down at College Station, Texas, about droplets and stuff, and we actually have some very accurate models now. So you can take, um, I can put my my nozzle that I'm using into a model, I can tell what pressure I'm using, what gallons I'm using, what speed I'm going, and then what deflection I'm going, and I can actually change the droplet size. So if I'm doing herbicide work, I can I can get close to a five five hundred and fifty micron droplet, which is a pretty okay. big drop. Yeah. Yep. But if I want to, I can go I could go down to a fog at two hundred microns with with deflection and changing tips and stuff. And so that's that's one of the cool things we can do. So I can, you know, if I'm doing from one job to the next, just about every product really has a droplet that works better. Right. And yep. that's one of the things that I've, I've really um, been using to my advantage um, with, with not only drift, but efficacy. Sure. Yep. Yep. So do you, do you do that very often? Are you changing nozzles 
uh, based upon a, a Micron recommendation that you know of? Yeah, part of that is part of that's the label. Um, yeah, absolutely. There are certain labels. Uh, a lot of them will say you have to do a coarse or very coarse or right. um, medium droplet. But a lot of it, too, has been over the years, you know, we've found that that, uh, so, so wheat scab spraying, we've found that that 300 to 330 micron droplet works really well and it still doesn't drift much. So that's what we do for that. Right. When I go up to uh, doing glyphosate, um, that doesn't need, that's not really that, that uh, doesn't require a big, a small droplet. So I worry more about drift. So then I'll, I'll put bigger, bigger sure. drops out and yep. still have the efficacy. Right. Yep. Yep. How wide of a swath are you covering? It, that changes as well. It does. Because if I change my droplet, sure. my, my swath width changes. So I can go from uh, 48 to 62 feet, depending on okay. what, what I'm doing. Yep. Yep. Your pattern pinches that much more when you're, when you're spraying bigger droplets. Right. Yep. And I also have shutoffs, and I can go, uh, I can go half booms to get completely eliminate the vortice from my uh, effect, uh, the vortice effect on my spray pattern. And so that's like a thirty foot swath when I'm doing trim work and doing some really tight work with that. Okay. Do you do do you, are, there, are there situations where uh, where you're you're having a ground rig border field on a regular basis? Yeah, not on a regular basis. A lot of times I'm able to play the wind, you know, spray with the south wind on one day and a north wind on yeah, the other day and we can get yeah. the edges. Yeah. But that's certainly something we, we do sometimes because there are places that are really difficult to get by air. Yeah. And uh, in fact, I was just uh, visiting with, with one of your agronomists the other day, Josh, about some, some power lines that I struggled getting under. Sure. And so we were coming up with a plan. But for the most part, I'm able to get stuff pretty well. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and for those of you listening, we work pretty closely with Matt and um, spray most of our, uh, our acres aerially here in, uh, in our Cass County stores. So our team of sales agronomists that work with Justin Kanata are calling Matt uh, regularly uh, to have field sprayed. And certainly with, uh, with drier conditions and, and travel being a little bit easier for the farmer, I think a lot of custom application acres uh, don't go to the air as much as they do on a wet year. Um, but, uh, but certainly here as heads cab starts up and as you know, dry years tend to be bug years and, and, uh, you know, we're, we're gearing up for that, uh, on the supply side of things, uh, not that we're betting on it or hoping for it. That's certainly not the case, but, but typically, uh, those years go hand in hand. So, yeah. And, and if you're in the aerial application business in North Dakota, you understand that there are dry years and wet years and typically the wet years were busy yeah. and typically the dry years were not as busy. Yeah. And then some years we have massive amounts of PP and, we, you know, it's, yeah. it's one thing to the next and we just kind of try and uh, try and be prepared for all of it. It's, it's not an easy place to farm where we farm. Uh, and, and that's uh, regardless of where you're at in the supply chain, you just have to kind of prepare for it. Right. Right. Yep. Yep. So tell us a little bit about what other technology that you've got either on your plane or that uh, and tell maybe I'll, I'll switch gears here a little bit. I know Justin has talked to me about how involved you are in, in both training and uh and and being an advocate for aerial application business. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So um I'm fairly um active in our trade associations, both state and national trade associations and and that has given me a pretty eye-opening view of of not only specifically ag aviation, but um, how agriculture is viewed by the, the general public. Um, and so I've tried to be involved mainly because I want to promote what, what it is 
we do an ag and we feed, we feed the world here in ag. And as an aerial applicator, I help that. That's, that's what I do. Yeah. And I think it gets lost with, with all the, the politicization and, and drama that, that occurs. Um, you know, when I'm out there spraying a wheat field, um, I'm helping make bread or yeah. whatever that end use is. And so I got real involved with the trade associations and, and that has kind of evolved into, uh, me being uh, one of the trainers, uh, I'm a certified flight instructor, and, and with my college background, it kind of uh, lends itself to to uh, the training program. And, and our, our association has what they call the PASS program. It's a professional aerial applicator support system. And just about every aerial applicator in the United States takes that training, maybe not annually, but over, like in North Dakota, they have to do it once every three years. And there's about 15 of us that travel around the United States in the wintertime and, and give this give this presentation uh, for recurrent training. And I've uh, been pretty involved in that and I'm helping develop, develop the curriculum for it. And uh, actually uh, president of the nonprofit right now that, mm. that uh, uh, oversees the safety program. Cool. So, so yeah, I um, like to advocate for ag and aerial application. And it's kind of fun to uh, help people be safer or more professional pilots too yeah yep yep how is there how is the the pipeline of new aerial applicators uh, you guys younger than you is there is there many of them in the industry um no um when i first got in the industry in the in the late 90s um i was the young guy i'm 43 years old now i'm still the young guy right and uh aviation in general has got a pilot shortage sure there's a little bit of speed bump with covid with the airline industry but there are a lot of opportunities in aviation. And so to find young people that want to do what we do, there's not many of them. Um, most, most young people would rather look at an airline job where they're sure not working 16 hour days and seven days a week and, right. and stuff like we do. And so there are some young guys, but there are some great opportunities for anybody that wants to get in. It's just a really hard business to get into. Sure. Yep. Yep. No, it and it's it's we we need you guys. We need aerial application in the state of North Dakota to sustain ourselves. So, uh, I'll say that from uh, from the retailer perspective, as we discussed before the uh, podcast, as typically ag retail is, um, you know, I mean, we buy ground rigs, but uh, the fact of the matter is, is that our ground rigs can't go all the time. And there's acres we can't get to all the time, so we need you guys with viable businesses that are are there to uh, to help us service service the farmer. So, well, and I think that's you know that that attitude is one of the reasons I enjoy working with the Arthur companies is because you guys are you're you're there for your customer, uh, the customer isn't there for you, and sure. that that's yep. a that's a a thing that that's really important to me is is uh, I've said I said this before and I say I keep saying it is. Um, the customers aren't mine. Um, sure. I provide a service to the customers and I'm their service provider. And I think it's really important to note that. I think that's an important part of my business is, is I realize that I'm not going to cover every acre. Sure. I mean, I would love to spray every, yep. every wheat field three times a year and I could, I could count on it and it would right. be great. Yep. That's just not the reality of ag today. Yep. And, and that's not the best interest for the customer. So um, I think it's, it's fun to work with a company, you know, 
between right way ag and arthur companies we kind of have the same same mentality i think when it comes to customer service yeah absolutely we uh we feel the same way so and we're, we're looking forward to continue to providing that uh service so tell tell us a little bit about um uh we, we talked a little variable rate technology prior to the calls or prior to the podcast so tell us a little bit about what you're doing there so yeah so so Interestingly enough, variable rate technology has been a possibility with airplanes since the late 90s. We've okay. had the equipment. Okay. Um, anytime you have a GPS and flow control, you have the ability to do a variable rate. Sure. Um, it just has not been economically viable, and the process has been extremely painful to, to get from a point where you make a map to putting it into a, yeah. a unit. And it's still something we're, we're working on. And so this year, I, I'm starting to try... Uh, working with variable rate and it's it's going to be uh some different probably just starting off with some water to make sure the process works and and you know seeing where that can fit in i think uh as we talked before we have to be looking at this stuff um sometimes it might make economic sense but sometimes it might be something we're forced to from regulation i mean we hear the words sustainability and less inputs every time we we turn and and i think we have to be prepared for that yeah, I, I think it's I think it's coming. I know uh, we we recently flew a field with our drones to uh, to make a variable rate map, and this was on a herbicide, and uh, and it does it's not going to and it basically we wrote the map so that you're either applying or you're not applying. Basically, you tell the, you know, the flow control either zero or one, either spray or don't spray, and it didn't save so far. And this was just a, a test field. So far, it didn't save the the farmer necessarily probably enough money as much as we had time into the field and how much we would like, as you said, Matt, like it's, it's just, it's a process to actually get the map. But I had a thought here. We've got a bunch of very patchy wheat fields and those, those good patches are worth protecting with a, with a heads cap treatment and those bad patches aren't. And if you could write a map that's just zero one, apply fungicide or don't and spray that with your plane I, I think we're on to something there. I don't know how quickly we could write that map, but I think we're on to something. I, I think so too. And and I'll tell you where this, this came is last year I was uh, spraying a, an edible bean field. It's a half section edible beans. Okay. There's about a hundred acres of drowned out in it in, okay. in a spider web of spots. And to try and save some money and, and make this an economically viable application, we tried to spray just the beans. And I about wore my shoulder out turning the valve off and on. And I did a pretty good job. It worked just fine. Okay. But I'm sitting here looking. I've got a $35,000 GPS in my airplane. There's yeah. imaging software. I mean, we, I, I can get, I can pull satellite image in 10 minutes. Right. Why can't we make this yeah. easier? And so that's when I started looking into it. And I thought it was going to be really easy. And it, it isn't. Uh, it's very labor intensive. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's, I think there's a lot of, art that will go with the science. Um, but I think it's the direction we're headed. And, and I think that, I think that as we do more of this, we're going to, we're gonna, as we learn more, we'll learn where is this going to fit and it's not going right. to be everywhere. And, uh, hopefully we can, we can, uh, keep the tools in the hand of the farmers and maybe we can keep labels instead of losing Longer, them if I we agree. can do that. I mean, we're looking, yeah. we're looking at losing some, some products this year. Um, and, Maybe we wouldn't have to lose them if we had some yep. some of those tools in our toolbox. Yeah, and those decisions we haven't really been forced to make in our careers as far as losing labels, right? Right. I mean, we, we haven't lost a lot. 
uh, not in my career, but it does clopyrifos. It's kind of in the crosshairs. Um, there's a number of others, and I, we've heard and we've probably said on the podcast before that Europe's down to 100 active ingredients uh, to be used. Um, so this is coming where whether or not that, I'll say 15% of herbicide that perhaps we saved with that first variable rate map that we wrote, okay? And I'm, I might be might be off a little bit, but whether or not that 15% actually justifies things economically, it may very well be either the consumer or the regulator that makes us do this. Right. So we better get good at it fast. So, right. But you make a good point that we don't know what market it's going to make sense in. Right. Right. So, and, and there's a lot of places I can tell you, I know it's not going to make sense. Sure. I mean, I, I've, I'm involved with some potato spraying out, out west, and we're not going to not spray fungicide on potatoes. No, you're right. That's not going to happen. No, there's not a zero or a one on that field. Right. You, yeah, that crop needs it, period. But uh, there are definitely some some opportunities here in the valley to look at it. Yeah, there's probably not many variable potato fields either, are there? No, there aren't. <laughs> there Those aren't. are long gone. No, I, yeah, no, they're, they're, it's either on or it, it is or it isn't. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good deal. Well, I a couple fun questions to end the podcast. Uh, what's, what's the, uh, you know, we, we tend to, at least those of us who aren't pilots, I look at an aerial applicator and I've known a few through my career and, and they've all got good stories of near misses. Maybe they're, maybe they're not good stories when you're in the pilot seat, <laughs> but for those of us who aren't in the pilot seat, what's been your, what's been the scariest moment in the, in the, in the plane? Well, you know, a lot of times they're not scary in the plane. Yeah. It's, it's afterwards. And, uh, so I'll, I'll go back, uh, quite a ways here. I, I learned to sp- I really learned to spray in Nebraska. I spent the first five years of my career running a business down there. Okay. And uh, the pilots would always talk about spray mares. And I asked, what's a spray mare? Well, don't you get them yet? We, we have these nightmares about spraying in, in, <laughs> in the spray season. Okay. And I thought, okay, you know, these guys are a little bit crazy, but that's, that's fine. And they, uh, um, they, they said, you'll get them eventually. Well, that summer... I hit my first wire, and it's the only wire I've hit in my career. Oh, my. And uh, I drug it back to me. You know, I, I still have a chunk of it somewhere. I kept it as a memento. It, it wrapped around the tail of the airplane. And, okay. And I'll never forget, um, I called the power company to let them know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm on the ground now, and I'm thinking I'm pretty lucky to not have hurt myself. And, uh, and the guy was just upset with me. He goes, oh, you're the one. And I thought about saying, well, Thanks. I'm fine. You know, (laughs) but he was more concerned about getting power back on. And I, you know, down in irrigation country, I understand. Uh, I I think I knocked about 20 wells out that day. So, but I'm like, I just, I just flew through a wire. And and anyways, so uh, that night I started, I had my first spray mare. You did. And I, I have, I have them every year and and they usually start about this time of year. And I have them until, uh, until, uh, Spray season's over. Okay. And, th- and the common one is I get un- I go under her wire, and I look up to pull up, and there's just a spider web of wires above me, and I can't pull up. So I fly around for hours underneath under these wires, and I can't get up. And I wake up, and I'm just sweating. <laughs> only only a dream aerial applicator yep, can yep. understand. <laughs> yep. That and I, I duck every time I go under a power line when I'm driving in my pickup. Do you really? Yep, I do. <laughs> yeah, we can't understand that one either. No. So, no. yeah, yeah. Last question. If if so, I'll, I'll name I'll name every defensive lineman I know from Crookston. 
Jeremy Queen grew up like five miles north of me in Roseau, or not Pine Creek, actually, is his hometown. And then Jim Mogus worked with him at Nutrien. And then Justin Cannot here, obviously, at the Arthur Companies. And uh, and yourself, Matt Hubness. I, am I missing? Am I missing one in the pa- industry? Paul Detloff. Paul Detloff. I forgot about Paul yep, Detloff. Paul Detloff. And, then, and then shortly thereafter, a guy named Dallas Copeland. Yep. And that was after me. Okay, but you. Okay, so maybe I know like like two different lines. But if one of them were to be drafted in the NFL, who would it be? Ooh, that's tough. Um, I would have to go with Jeremy Queen. Jeremy Queen, just because right. he's crazy enough to actually pull that off. Okay. All right. Yeah, and I, I don't want to throw anybody else under the bus, but he's uh, he, he didn't have the physical ability, but, man, that guy was nuts. <laughs> he was fun to watch. I, I, can, I believe that. I do. Yep. So, anyway, and if I, I believe he's farming with his brother, North Rose. So yeah, I think he is. I, I haven't talked to him for that's since, since college. time, I'm sure. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, anyway, well, that's that's. Um, rat, unless you had something to add, Matt, I think we'll no, wrap I'm, it up here. I'm just uh, happy the opportunity to talk to you guys. Yep, happy to have you. So you fly safe, and uh, we'll talk again soon. So thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you in the next episode of the Arthur Companies podcast. Mm-hmm.